You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org. Okay, once again, good afternoon and welcome. So Africa and Europe are engaged in a very brave attempt to reset their relationship. And it's an important endeavor, very, very important. And the fact that all of you here are in such large numbers just shows how important this exercise of resetting Africa-Europe relationship really is. So much has changed in both Africa and Europe over the last few decades. There are new global realities that have to be taken into account, new ambitions and new realities within Africa and in Europe itself. So for the next three hours or so, we're going to explore different facets of this interdependent and interconnected relationship. We're going to look at growth and jobs, but also we're going to talk about civil society, what the people of Africa, not just the institutions, not just officials, but what the people of Africa, business leaders, women, entrepreneurs, young people, local societies, local authorities really want from this very, very important relationship. And what do you do? Who do you turn to when you want to go beyond officials and really get to the core, the heart of this relationship? Well, we think you turn to Mo Ibrahim. Mo Ibrahim is, of course, uh, a giant in Africa. He's head of a telecommunications empire, but most importantly, working on governance and leadership issues on the continent. So I'm going to kickstart this conversation with about 10 minutes, 15 minutes with you, Mo. May I ask you to join me here, please, on the podium? and to ask some very basic questions about where Africa is headed. Mo, join me here. And once we've had that, let's say, uh, controversial, provocative conversation, I'm going to ask a panelist to join us here as well, and then we'll have another uh, minute, about an hour or so, of a conversation with our panelists. I will throw open the floor to you, of course, for also your questions and brief comments from the floor. So I'm going to kick off with you, Mo, as I said, who do you turn to when you want to know a little bit more about Africa beyond officials, beyond institutions? And so returning to you. So Mo, it is on, don't worry. Tell me, what are the three areas where Europe can be more effective and where Europe should be engaging more forcefully, more interactively with Africa? Yeah, I I really think we need a reset in in the relationship between Europe uh, and Africa. We need to see what are the shared interests between two continents which are separated by, well, is it 11 miles? Uh, I think that's really uh, important. What Africa, really the most important issues for Africa at the moment, and where Europe can be, uh, uh, need to focus as well. Uh, I think the youth, young people and jobs, this is a a major issue we have. You all know that Africa is uh, having uh, uh, this different demographic uh, uh, kind of characteristics, and we have so many uh, young people coming to uh, employment age. Uh, many of them are not trained for the kind of jobs uh, needed, and that also relates to a dysfunctional education system 
in many African countries, which are not uh, educating people for employment. It's important, I think, to educate people for employment. I have very, very much appreciate you know, art and, 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 you know, all the beautiful things of life, but Africa need to build roads, to build dams, to build electricity, to get clean water. We need technicians. We need IT people, we need mechanics, we need, you know, agronomists. Agriculture is a very important uh, element uh, in our economy. Two percent of our university graduates study agriculture. 27% study humanity, you know, humanities. Uh, I think it is, should be the other way around maybe. Right. Uh, we need to eat before we recite Shakespeare, I guess. So uh, that's something we need uh, to, to, to focus on. What kind of training our people need? And this is a difficult job because first we need the administrators in our education system to connect with society, to connect with business people, to understand what is needed, where, what kind of skills, what kind of job. Our education system is arrested in a century past kind of requirement when governments need to produce clerks to write clean reports in beautiful handwritings, know how to address different people in the right, who is your excellency, who is a squire, who is monsieur, who is whatever. And uh, that's all rubbish. What we need now is a kind of education which, so we need to create this discussion between uh, education administrations, administrators, civil society, business people, etc. So our education system is rooted in our requirements. We need technical colleges. We also need a cultural exchange, and that is very important. We have so much respect to white collar kind of jobs. Uh, so if you're a young man, you always need to go to university, to get a university degree, in order to marry a beautiful girl, because socially it's unacceptable to marry a mechanic, right. or which is ridiculous. Right, so uh, a change in mentality. We need to change the mentality and our attitude to education. It doesn't mean you went to a technical college, you are less than somebody who got a degree in arts. It shouldn't be. Right. So that, so that education is the best thing, and that's somewhere where European experience and assistance for Africa should focus. And that is important because better working force is very important uh, for, for people to get jobs and also very important for Europe because Europe will always need migrants. This is the truth which European politicians having got the balls to tell the people. They haven't got the courage to, take, to tell their own people that Europe is an aging continent. At the same time, all people in Europe are living much longer. So you end up with a very diminishing taxpayers base, very diminishing, supporting a larger base of old people.
Right. Who's going to pay for that? Right. So it's a match made in heaven. In so it's sense. helpful for everybody. Right. But politics so gets in the way. Right. Oh. That's very important. We need to have that kind of conversation, train those people. And that will cut illegal immigrants. We don't right. want to lose our kids in the Mediterranean or etc. Right. So that's one area we need cooperation. Of course, we need cooperation on security. And uh, we have some ungoverned spaces in Africa. We have extremism. Not that Africa's cornered the market on no. extremism. We have extremists no. everywhere. But we need to deal with, with these ungoverned spaces. And European assistance will be also uh, useful at that. Counter-radicalization. Yes. Agriculture. We need to find a new model for agriculture for Africa because Africa has a huge potential in agriculture. We have the most, the largest spaces of uh, arable land which could be cultivated, which is uncultivated. We have very low productivity and the huge potential there. That's something people will always need, food. Uh, more and more food, higher quality food, and Africa can support that. Unfortunately, we are not doing that because we're relying still on smallholders, and we need to find a different model for agriculture in Africa, which respects people who don't kick people off the land, but at the same time, we need large-scale farming. I think that's important. Right. Another area is important to cooperate is the cooperation with civil society. European Commission and, uh, you know, thinks that you need just to deal with the African Union and that's it, then they dealt with Africa. They need to understand the European Union is not the equivalent of the European Commission. The European Commission, European Union is a union. The African Union is a club. Europeans need to understand that. They don't understand, they don't get it. The African Union is a club of African presidents. And it has no powers. It has nothing. And yet, Mo, yet. It is, has political representation exactly. of Africa at that kind of level. It cannot enforce any rule. Guys here in Brussels, in the Commission, have a lot of powers. And it's different. They have a major budget. It's different. So people need to understand that. In order to cut a deal with Africa, is not, don't you think you go to Addis Ababa and sign a wish to paper, you cut a deal with Africa? No. That's why the European Union needs to widen its interaction with Africa. You need to interact with the Rex, that's uh, the regional. Rex, Rex, regional economic. Economic communities. Right. Because these are realities on the ground and do things which the African Union cannot do. You need to interact with civil society in Africa, which itself has a major problem in many African countries, which treat civil society as criminals. It's so ridiculous. Do you know how many African countries pass laws to prevent civil society from receiving funding from abroad? And they say they become foreign agents if civil society receive money from abroad. And I always ask the question, what about you? You governments receive funding from abroad. What that makes you? Foreign agents, you go around begging for money from European Union or from donor countries. 
why civil society cannot receive money from anybody? I mean, it's just, it's just nonsense. Right. Well, that is, a, that is a global issue. We have that problem also in Europe, where civil society in certain parts of Europe is also finding the space is shrinking. I want to ask you also about one other issue. We're going to include both Holland, uh, both Poland and Hungary in the African Union. Okay. Because those guys should be there, not here. Yeah, okay, <laughs> right. that's another issue, yeah. So Mo, I want to ask you about another issue that keeps coming up when you look at Africa, you talk about Africa, and that is governance and corruption. What can Europe do? I mean, there's conditionality and aid and all the rest of it, but it doesn't seem to be working, right? What can we do better? I think one major problem need to understand is the illicit flows of funds out of Africa. There is something like 70, 80 billion dollars every year leaving Africa illegally. That's much more than all the amount of aid going to Africa. All the amount of the people just need to be smart. What can we do about this money? I applaud the, Af the, the European Union for passing these laws about uh, beneficial ownership, uh, which is, I don't know if you know that, this is very important because this is the vehicle for corruption. If you are a president and you steal a lot of money, where are you going to put it? You are not going to the local bank in the high street to deposit there. You cannot put it under the mattress. You don't have a big enough mattress to put all this money underneath. Okay. What are you going to do? You're going to put it into a secret company, a trustee company, where ownership is not known, and you keep it safe in that place. And by the way, these secretive companies are not in leafy islands. They are in London and they are in the United States. The United States has more anonymous, anonymous companies than Badama. So need, people need to shape up. I mean, Europe have taken a lead. We have allowed Europe. The United States is lagging behind other countries. But we need to apply the law really on this, against this mm -hmm. uh, anonymous companies. There is no business need for it, nothing for it. Why we need to have it? So. That's one thing. We need also to implement our laws in Europe in fighting corruptions. Europe talk a lot about corruption. I don't see any action. How many European come, uh, countries prosecuted businesses in Europe for corruption in Africa? Do you know? Have you heard of any? Actually, United States punished more European companies for corruption in Africa than Europe. Those guys make like a billion dollars every year of fines on European companies. Why didn't you make this money yourself? So you walk the talk, please. You fight corruption, you stand against corruption. That's uh, important. Thank you. Thank you, Mo. Please stay. Uh, please do stay on the, on the podium. So as I promised you, we would jump into the story immediately. And Bo in, uh, Mo, in about uh, 15 minutes, has already sort of set out the parameters of our discussion. So education, agriculture, radicalization, dealing with civil society, African Union, its pros and cons, and its weaknesses and strengths, but also the importance of fighting a legal flow of uh, funds. Thank you very much, uh, Mo. We're into the story. Let me now ask uh, other members of our panel to join me uh, here on the podium for our conversation. So we have with us William Etta Piso Sedi Tar, 
Uh, Williametta is the Liberian Minister of Gender, Children and Social Protection. She's been working a lot on issues to deal with gender, but also local communities. Please join me here, Williametta. Also joining me is Esther Nakijo. Esther uh, is, has been named Uganda's Ambassador for Women and Girls. Also working very strongly with refugee women and girls. So thank you very much for joining us here, Esther. We have with us also Gunter Nuka, Commissioner for Africa and Chancellor Angela Merkel's personal representative for Africa, also known as Merkel's man in Africa. So, Gunter, please join us here as well. Yes, Elizabeth Gigu, please. President of the Anna Lind Foundation uh, for Dialogue, and also, of course, very well known in Europe and Africa, previously um, France's Minister for European Affairs and a member of European Parliament. And last but not least, uh, Lapo Pistelli, Executive Vice President for International Affairs at ENI, uh, and deputy, formerly Deputy Minister for Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation in Italy. We're going to kick off with you, uh, William Etta, if I may. So, William Meta, we've talked a lot, and you heard Mo kick off also on talking about civil society. And so, when we talk to you, young woman um, from Africa, what are your desiderata when it comes to Europe? What are the two or three key areas where you think we should be more actively engaged? Well, I think Mo already covered almost everything. But, <laughs> he always um, does. Yes, he does. But I am very interested in seeing people come in and really deal with the local communities. Because a lot of times we have all of the plans set up in the high ballrooms and at high levels, but if you bring all of the plans to Africa and the local community at the granular level is not um, engaged, then that's how those plans fail, and then you get um, resistance and all of that. So for me, it's very, very important that local communities are engaged, the local communities are taking along the journey, and actually the conversation starts there. So how do you actually engage local communities when you are, say, a European Union government or the European Union per se? How do you engage with local communities? Of course, it will be through the government, but then you have the local government that will you know, be the ones that will come on board. And they do their own homework by having um, strategy ses sessions with the traditional leaders, the elders, the women and youth who live in the um, Lewa counties and talk about the issues. For example, if you say a concession company, for example, is coming in, the land that they're coming to use is the land that the people survive on. That's the water, that's the food, that's where they build, they build the houses out of the mud on the land and all of that. So if a, a company is coming in and nobody's engaging that community to say, what do you want to see? You know, we agree that we want development, but then what do you want to see happen here as this development come in? That's when, you, like I said, yeah, you'll talk at a higher level, people will come in, but then you get resistance from the communities if you're not engaging them. So the conversation has to start from them, then the local government bring it up to national government, and then as you're having these boardroom conversations with investors and other partners, um, they at least have some idea as to what will be necessary to come into the communities. And is that not happening at all at the moment, or is it happening but not at the scale you'd like? Yes, it needs to happen full sum. Right, okay. And is uh, Liberia taking the lead in this? Right now we're advocating for that. We're really advocating for that at all levels. Even I'm doing gender, and for me, 
we talk a lot about FGM and all of that, and people come, international community will come and say, oh, you need to eradicate this, but we also need to know that we have traditional values and we have to go and talk with the elders in those communities to talk to those who are practicing um, those harmful practices to be able to find a leeway to meet at a midpoint so that we'll still be able to eradicate the harmful practice but then also be able to appreciate and honor the other parts of the cultural um, values that are there so that everybody you know, feels happy about it. So it's interesting, you've talked about the traditional leaders and the cultural values, and you're saying that these need to be also recognized and worked with rather than against. Definitely, definitely. Okay, thank you very much. I'm sure more will have something to say and others as well about why local communities are not at the moment uh, given enough importance. Esther, from your point of view as well, you know, uh, working in uh, Uganda, working on issues to do with gender, women and girls, and also governance issues, um, what, are, what are your points that you'd like to make and tell the audience here about your priorities? Thank you. Uh, before uh, I share with you what Africa really wants from Europe, uh, I want to remind you that millions of Africans are forced to flee their homes, leave their homes because of armed conflicts. And um, um, earlier last year, the UN announced that South Sudan is one of the continent's largest, has one of the continent's largest refugee crises after the Syrian and Afghanistan crisis. So millions of euros have been invested in Africa and for a long time we've failed to realize the Africa we all desire to see. So um, my golden question to Europe is, what is Europe failing to learn about Africa? For a very long time, Europe has been um, acting as a physician uh, on the sicknesses of Africa, simply romancing and treating symptoms. But I believe the time is now for Europe to act as a surgeon and uproot Africa's sickness once and for all. I mean, if we continue doing a lot of talking, the Africans will always look at holding a gun as the only way they can share the national cake. So the ones with the energy will hold the gun and the weak ones will go on the move. And until Europe uh, supports the African Union to um, address issues of bad governance, we are wasting our time. So on behalf of the African youth, women and girls, I'm calling upon Europe to support the African Union to deal with issues of bad governance. And I'm also pleading with you to stop dining with African leaders who are filthy rich, richer than their own nations, their starving nations, and have no political plan and political exit plan. Thank you. So Esther, thank you very much for that very moving uh, uh, ambition. And I have to say a very strong message to all of us to move beyond the leaderships. But I just want to ask you, uh, it's about bad governance. What can the European Union do more than it, what it's doing at the moment? I mean, there is conditionality on aid. There is a lot of talk about human rights, about corruption. What is the additional thing that you in civil society think that Europe can do which is not doing at the moment? Is it more naming and shaming? Is it actually cutting off uh, aid? I believe what Africa needs is not aid because aid has been given, but change is not being seen. So I believe 
Europe should simply empower and coach the African Union to see that we do away with bad governance because it's the main cause of migrations. Yes. So are you saying that even if there are jobs and even if there is better education, if there isn't governance, which is ethical, people will still leave? Yes, people will be on the move. The young people are desperate, they are unemployed, so the only option is to hold a gun, and the women and children are on the move. So that will continue to continue on. Yeah. So, so one of the figures that I think is uh, quite uh, astounding, uh, Africa's youth population will double by 2050, reaching 450 million people. 60% of Africans are under the age of 25, even now. And you need 2.5 million jobs created every year to sort of fulfill the aspirations of young people uh, in Africa. So thank you very much, Esther and, and Williametta, for giving us your point of view, which I have to say is very precious because it is from civil society and from, an, uh, from people that we don't actually often hear about here in, in Brussels. We're so institutional focused, not Friends of Europe, but Brussels per se. Gunter, I'm going to turn to you now uh, because you have heard from our three African friends and talking very, very much from the heart about what needs to change. The impression is that in European capitals, we're still doing the same old, same old. We're still looking at Africa with the, with, with the glasses of, say, 20, 25, even 30 years ago. You'll disagree. I don't think so. We are on the right track. We are too slow, but we are on the right track. Uh, we have changed a lot, and uh, I, we have focused on the private sector, from development cooperation towards economic development, economic growth, creating jobs. Uh, G20 presidency of Germany was like uh, Chinese uh, about industrialization in Africa. So we, how to get better infrastructure, public uh, financed or uh, financed, uh, private financed. So uh, that I, I think all those things are very important. And we are speaking in, in the so-called Marshall Plan in Germany also about good governance, peace and security. So I think that are uh, all issues and, and what we are focusing on, what is right and what we have to do. It's, it's not the, the single answer for all the questions for a various uh, continent uh, with, with uh, 54 countries, very different in climate and in, in governance. And, and so I think it's, it's very important that we do not think that there's an easy answer to deal with the continent. My, my, uh, I, I can say a lot about uh, the private sector and, and what, what maybe uh, could, be, uh, could be done better also with uh, this big, huge informal sector. So we, we are, uh, our approach is too much uh, focused from the understanding of European and rule of law uh, businesses. Uh, so that, that will not be an answer. And also lecturing about uh, good governance in the, in the hotel rooms are not very successful. That, that's right. But we have changes and uh, there are a lot of opportunities. The next panel was speaking about the digital Africa and digitalization and how to use the modern the, the most modern uh, technologies, blockchain technology, to combat corruption with uh, maybe the oldest archaic structures in the kingdom or chiefdom in, in African countries. So a lot, and we, we try this, also with our development uh, 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 or implementation agency like KFW, the Development Bank and GIZ, 
our international uh, cooperation agency. Uh, I think there is also another point for this first panel, panel I would like to raise this issue. I'm just back from uh, Togo. Uh, on Thursday uh, and Friday last week, we had the so-called Ministerial uh, Council of the ACP, the African Caribbean uh, Pacific countries, and that's the old uh, colonial setting. And now we are discussing here in Brussels how important is this secretariat here in Brussels? How important is this group? I think uh, if the world has changed, if uh, Europe has to play a role, a geopolitical role in a new uh, world or in the uh, uh, second quarter of the, of the 21st uh, century, then we have to do what Merkel and the German Chancellor Angela Merkel and the French President Macron said at the uh, summit in Abidjan of the African Union and the European Union last uh, year, uh, end of November last year, we need this, uh, the Chancellor said, totally new partnership between Europe and Africa. We yeah. are speaking about one Europe, one Africa approach. So yeah. that means that we have to deal with the entire continent, we have to support right. the African countries when they are doing something inside Africa, tackling migration, refugees, uh, building infrastructure, but we have also to support, the, of course, uh, more, uh, the, the weak African Union. But they launched in Kigali in March uh, this year a so-called African continental free trade area. Right. That's a big asset for a continent with, with 1 billion or in 20, 30 years, right. 2 billion consumers. That's, uh, we have the problem with migration and we cannot allow that everyone is coming to Europe. We cannot integrate millions or 10 or 100 of millions of migrants in European states. They're, that will destroy the European Union. Yeah, but we're not doing that either. Oh, okay, but then we're we have to do that. something on the continent. Right. The, the German Chancellor said it in this way. Uh, the well-being of Africa is in Europe's and Germany's interest. That's so right. then we have to do this. Yeah, and then we have to deal with the entire continent. Then we have to change the setting here in Brussels with the European neighborhood policy and the so-called development uh, EDF right. uh, setting. So we have to integrate the five uh, North African uh, countries into this new partnership between Europe and Africa. Absolutely. We have to talk with Cairo. We have to explain what we do. I was in Cairo a couple of weeks ago. They do not know what we are doing here in Brussels. And that's a problem. We have to accept here in Brussels that the world has changed. Right. And I just wonder, uh, Gunther, I'm going to press you on that. The world has changed. China, Japan, Korea, Turkey, Brazil are geopolitical players in, in Africa, right? Major geopolitical players, spending billions uh, of dollars on infrastructure projects, connectivity, etc. We're not doing that. Why, why we not discuss what is the interest of Europe as a geopolitical player. We are discussing with uh, Trump and regarding the trade issues with, uh, uh, with the United States. The first time in a, in a kind of European setting, the, the trade policy is, is really uh, uh, done by the, by the commission here. So we, uh, that's, that's one issue, for instance, where we can define what we want. But in the military sector or peace and security, there is no... Uh, uh, shared opinion, the migration, maybe that we have to uh, build up a, a border uh, uh, guard uh, for, the, for the outside borders of the right. European Union or the Schengen 
uh, area. The, the other thing is we, we, can, we can do much more in, uh, in, in, in saying that the issue of how to deal with Africa is a European issue. And, and it's not China, it's not India, it's not uh, the United States where the migrants will come of the, well, the main destination for, for those two uh, looking for a better right. life but, uh, will, will be Europe. Yeah. So, and that is, is our, our interest that this kind of economic uh, benefits, mutual benefits in, uh, in North African countries uh, to industrialize uh, sub-Saharan yeah. African countries so with, 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 with South Africa uh, with a new president. So we, we, I think we know what we have to do, but we are, um, we are not really uh, focused. We are too slow. We are uh, divided. Yeah, stuck in in old fabric of, of what we uh, this colonial structures with ACP. That why I'm said we have to integrate. Uh, this with, with, with the new money from the midterm review. So there, there's an, an unique opportunity in the next uh, 12, 18 months to change something here in Brussels together with a, uh, with a member state. And I, I hope that uh, not only France and Germany, but of course the, the both uh, bigger countries have to do uh, something by, uh, by its, uh, its own yeah. uh, endeavor. But uh, in the end, we are interested in a, in a European policy towards Africa, and I'm speaking about, uh, yeah, in, in German I'm saying Weggefährten, uh, uh, travel companions on a rocky road. So we are, have to go together yeah. in this direction, and another one maybe go back if we uh, uh, went wrong. So it's, it's, it's in a kind of learning process of these two continents, and uh, we can learn a lot from each other. It's not that we are same. We are very, very different. Right. But we, we have to move together. It's not our decision. It's not, not our choice. It's our uh, fate. It's our destiny, absolutely. Uh, I would, uh, if you go on our website, and tomorrow you'll see we've done, a, frankly speaking, which says Africa-Europe ties need a reset, but not just because of migration. And I think that's something that I would really like to highlight here. It's about mutual benefit uh, to, to the two continents. Thank you very much, Gunther. Elizabeth, let's get your point of view also about the idea that it's one Europe dealing. It's on, it's on. Uh, and that we need a radical change in the way we approach. And, uh, you know, we talk the talk. I'm sorry, I just don't see us walking the talk. Well, uh, thank you, Shanda. Obviously, there are new expectations for, uh, from our African friends. And as President Mo Ibrahim very uh, rightly said, uh, we have shared interest, and unless we meet the new global uh, challenges together, uh, or if we don't do that, we will all lose. Because when we talk about peace and security, when we talk about climate change, we are in the same boat. And of course, about the, uh, the necessity to have a more positive management of migrations because they, won't, uh, they are bound to increase because it goes with development, with new technologies, with globalization. And therefore, we have to find together a way to manage in a positive way uh, this question. And uh, 
for, for that, it seems to me that on the side of Europe, we have to change radically our approach to Africa. And uh, for example, uh, the geopolitics have changed. Uh, North African countries have now, are now have been building uh, all sorts of links with uh, sub-Saharan Africa, be it uh, in economy or in politics, or and therefore the division between North Africa and uh, sub-Saharan uh, Africa is no longer valid. The uh, Sahel region is not a border anymore nor for traffics, not for, uh, for uh, uh, the terrorists, for, for, for nothing. Therefore, we have to have this new approach, and it seems to me that uh, Europe has to take into account that it is no longer the favorite player in many African countries. Uh, China, India, Japan are, are there. But it seems to me that Europe has a MasterCard because Europe is the only geo, uh, continent that uh, is normally should be ready to have a shared uh, view with Africa. China has its own agenda. All the others have their own agenda. Europe is able, if we uh, really tackle a new direction, to have a shared agenda with Africa. This means a new partnership based on equal uh, understanding. It's not only for Europe to put the agenda on the table, it's for Europeans to listen to Africans. The new agenda should, of course, uh, for example, in the economic field, uh, uh, be concentrated on less aid and more investment, private investment especially, because there is finance in Africa. The problem is to have a good use of this finance and, of course, we have to get to have a, a new approach that is banning forever uh, the old colonialist approach, you know, that is, of course, uh, Europeans are, for one part, not for all, responsible for corruption as well, as you very uh, rightly pointed out. So a new approach in economy, a new approach uh, of society, mm -hmm. and this is where civil society is absolutely essential. Uh, Governments and institutions are beginning to understand that although government and institutional actions are absolutely essential, they meet a limit because uh, we need to have the support of the population, we need to mobilize population, and youth, youth, because of jobs, creation of jobs in Africa and in Europe, but the civil society and youth especially is absolutely, uh, is absolutely crucial. This is where we intervene in the uh, uh, Annaline Foundation, exactly, yes. because in the Euro-Mediterranean region, mm. we have developed uh, 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 15 years of experience to have programs dedicated to youth. What are our shared values? What are our differences and how can we respect each other? Uh, uh, respecting our differences, how can we uh, build up common agenda? How can we have education of youth? Not, not only on jobs, it's absolutely essential, but before uh, having this uh, professional training, it's essential that youth know in which institutional uh, context they, they live in, 
how can they can have access to public right. debate, how they can express themselves. And therefore, uh, it seems to me that uh, because we have developed uh, a methodology, because we have programs, because we have uh, education handbooks, because uh, I think that really we should, uh, in the Analyte Foundation, and I discussed that in the commission today, we should really try to have more, um, more bridges between, to build more bridges between uh, uh, the Euro-Mediterranean region and, of course, right. uh, the uh, southern sub-Mediterranean Africa. Right. Now, my last word will be, before you ask me a question, will be that we need to build up civil societies networks between Europe right. and Africa. Civil society networks, it can be foundations, there are already a network of foundations so that we can uh, think the future right. together and be more, uh, be more uh, you know, prospective than also than uh, today when we are always on urgencies. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. And one of the points that was raised at the last meeting with Anna Lind was creating uh, or expanding Erasmus uh, for, uh, for globally. Thank you very much for pointing to the network side of things. Um, so, uh, you know, Lapo, we've talked about <laughs> that less aid, more investments is basically the message we're getting. And that's a message we've been getting for some time. So for a company like yours, for yourself, I mean, is that the way forward, investing? rather than transferring uh, assistance? Okay, l let me tell you, first of all, that I agree with, with all of the comments that I heard from the other panelists. And it seems to me that uh, the, the, the main trap we have in front of us is the potential divide between the institutional narrative and the mood that uh, all of us and yeah. many people outside this, this room can feel about the relation uh, between Africa and, uh, and, 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 and the European Union, in the sense that it's true, we, we are updating a lot uh, our toolkit. There are a number of programs, financial programs, political programs, institutional cooperation between the EU and the EUA. But at the end of the day, so we, are, we all agree about what we have to do. It seems to me that if we make a deep dive on the popular mood that some movements are also surfing on, the issue is about the how and when. So uh, how the toolkit we have is updated to the situation and the speed of change. Um, and energy is a perfect paradox for, for what I would like to, to say. So it's, it's quite, I mean, easy to say that if we don't deal seriously with Africa, Africa will deal with Europe. Uh, that's it, it's about geography and, dem and demography. Geography because you have water everywhere and you have a small lake, which is the Mediterranean Sea just dividing uh, Africa and, and Europe. And the issue is about the de demography, and you already mentioned. I mean, in, in 25 years from now, uh, the, the population of Africa will be three times the population of the European Union. And uh, you were mentioning the number of jobs required. Let me put it in terms of energy. If we want to succeed with the Sustainable Development Goal number seven, that about access to energy, we need to provide access to energy to 73 million people a year in order to uh, fulfill the target. And uh, it seems to me that we're, as a Europeans, I'm talking as an Italian citizen, as European citizens, we're still lagging behind as Europeans. It's very interesting for me to listen uh, the reaction from the African friends, because it seems to me that uh, for, for many decades, the narrative uh, of the Europeans about themselves 
has been based on the fear of the past. So the fear to repeat the past has been a, a, a powerful engine to go ahead. The fear not to repeat the mistakes of the past. Now we are paralyzed by, by the fear of the future. And so everybody is threatening us. And so we have completely reversed the narrative. And, uh, and you can see on how Africa is voting in our national elections, how the migration issues uh, has, uh, has been so high in the, in the priorities of the, of the people and so on. So going back for a while on private sector and energy, uh, why I was saying energy is a paradox. Uh, if you consider for Africa from the energy point of view, you will see that in terms of hydrocarbons, oil and gas, the African continent has more or less the double the size of the U.S. reserves of hydrocarbons. And if you go for the renewables, the geographic fit is perfect. So uh, Africa is either on the hydrocarbons traditional side or on the renewable, the perfect continent. But if you look at the uh, access to energy, you will see that out of 1.2 billion people with no access to energy today, 650 million people are from Sub-Saharan Africa uh, with such a potential, with such a potential. So it seems to me that we have to uh, invest a lot. It's easy for me to say that because ENI, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, is the most African among the IUCs. We have there half of the reserves, half of the production, half of the investment. Uh, we provide energy to the domestic market. So we are very, uh, let's say, entangled with a lot of African government from north to south. But we realize that this enormous investment uh, seems to be a drop in the ocean, mm -hmm. a drop in the ocean. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that uh, there's not only the issue of numbers, so 73 million people that need to get access to energy from now to the 2030 in order to fulfill the sustainable development goal. But I do consider that energy is a basic human right. Access to energy is a basic human right on the one hand. On, on the other hand, you, you will never have uh, economic growth, like the one Mohibrahim was mentioning about the need for technicians and, and, and new skills, if you don't have energy as a base load uh, to, to, to boost uh, your economic growth. Of course. And let me tell you as a final point, because I, I heard it, it's very interesting, very moving for me, which is about women. Mm -hmm. uh, look, uh, there's a tragedy within a tragedy, which is the relation between women and energy. Because the African women, according to the International Energy Agency, spend hours a day, hours a day in collecting wood and biomasses, and they spend hours a day in cooking with traditional means. This is a stolen life. You can talk a lot about uh, African women empowerment, but if you don't modify this energy pattern, we are really uh, spectators of a, of, a, of a stolen life for all African women. We are doing what we can, but if I, if I may conclude with just a statement, a, a, a catchphrase, uh, no single actor alone can succeed. Right. It's not an issue about government. It's not an issue, an issue about civil society. It's not an issue about uh, private sector. It's not an issue about financial institution. It's the, all of them together. And this could be the, the, the leapfrog uh, to, to get a real uh, uh, new paradigm in the relation between African Union, uh, the Africa and the European Union. Mm. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much for pointing to that gender uh, aspect of energy as well. Uh, thank you very much indeed. I'd like to see a show of hands of people who would like to put questions and comments to our panelists. And uh, if you could just raise your hands slightly higher so I can actually see it. I see two hands, three, four, 
and that is it. So we'll go with four hands. The lady, yeah, the lady over here. Okay, yeah. Please very briefly introduce yourself and keep your comments short and sweet, please. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to begin by thanking the panelists for such an insightful uh, session. Um, I have a couple of comments, and uh, I would just begin um, with, with the most basic, which is the, the name of the, um, the session here, What Africa Wants from Europe. I must say, when I, when I saw the, um, the information coming about the session, the first thing that struck me was, why What Africa Wants from Europe? Because if this is a relationship of two equals, right. as, we, as we always say. I can explain that um, in a uh, I, I just want to, put, let me just put forward my point. Do. Because I think this really buys into the narrative that Africa is a continent that is um, overly dependent on Europe. And I, I would have, it would have been interesting to see um, how this does not feature in the discussions, but I'm afraid that did not. Okay. Um, and um, during one of the discussions, one of the panelists spoke about a one Europe, one Africa approach. And I just wanted to highlight why this would definitely be a difficult thing to achieve, given the fact that, as one of the panelists said, the, the legal nature of the, of the European Union and the African Union are very different. Um, the European Union do, right. has a legal mandate through yeah. the Commission to act on behalf of the member states, and the African Union does not have this. Yeah. And this is ha what has been the root okay. of most of the difficulties that um, have been happening. Right, I just have to beg you to be short. So you're I, saying, how, why is I, it so I, difficult I, to achieve? I would okay. really love to be allowed to really... Um, I, I'm sorry, I really need to take more um, questions. Uh, excuse me, could we take the floor, Brandon? Please. I'm sorry, you've mentioned, you've made your point. Yes, can you take the... Thank you. Thank you. Very quickly, um, please. My name is Brandon. I'm from the One Campaign, a development NGO. I have one very brief comment and, and one very brief question. Um, the comment is maybe pushing slightly back on the uh, less aid, more investment uh, uh, principle that we heard twice. I think what maybe we should put forth is smarter aid and more investment, just because if we want to have uh, educated youth that President uh, Ibrahim was talking about who can take advantage of things like the European External Investment Plan, we're going to need wealthy countries to maybe double or possibly triple the amount that they're currently putting into education budgets um, to, to keep up with demographic trends. So smarter right. aid, uh, more investment. Uh, the second question I'd like to ask is just kind of- Brandon, very quickly. Very, very quickly. Uh, given the, the amount of uh, expanding um, you know, other geopolitical actors in Africa, I really want to ask, can we hone in more on what Europe's competitive advantages yeah. are? Yeah. Uh, and, and why uh, African actors really should be looking, uh, when they're very clearly not the favorite, why should they be looking to Europe uh, instead of other parties? Right, okay, thank you very much. There was another lady who put up her hand at that table. Okay, let's take, let's take the, the gentleman right at the back. Was it you? Yeah, okay. Uh, hello, well, quite a very simple question, in fact. What should happen to have more investment in Africa? Because there's not a lack of money, there's a lot of money. But if you look to the World Investment Report, Africa is very small. I think it's 3%. Well, the population is already much bigger. So, yeah. What are the obstacles? Yeah. Why is it not happening? The lady over there that had put up her hand, please, here. Thank you. 
briefly introduce yourself as well, please? Thank you. Hello, my name is Hind Alawais. I'm with Expo 2020 Dubai. Our theme in Expo is connecting minds, creating the future. And further to Mr. Pistelli's point, you mentioned that it's no longer an issue of one actor or one stakeholder. So my question is really, how do we create partnerships that are effective? How do we move from an organizational-centric approach to a mission-centric approach right. so that okay. we are effective? Okay, thank you very much. The lady in blue sitting here, please. At this table first, yeah, please. Thank you. My name is Isabelle Brachet. I work for ActionAid, which is also a development NGO. We spoke a lot about foreign direct investments, but we have seen it doesn't mean increased tax income for developing countries uh, because of tax avoidance, because of tax incentives. Could you elaborate? Because potentially it's much more money for development and public services um, than investments. My second question is about remittances. We spoke about my migration. And um, why is the European Union not uh, willing to put a cap on the percentage taken by financial intermediaries right. on the remittances, a percentage that is so high that is more than all the European yeah. Union ODA? Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you so much. The lady in front here. Yes, yes please pass the microphone. Thank you very much. I'm Anisent Husinje from Frontier Energy, a leading investor in the renewable energy market in Africa. Uh, someone mentioned that, that energy is a basic human right. I know uh, there are some kind of focused investments that are actually uh, addressing that, and several countries now are working on the accessibility of energy, but the question still remains on the affordability. What should be done? Affordability. Yes, please, the lady over here. Final question, then we have, uh, we'll go back Thank to the panel. Thank you very much. My name is Patricia Zenger. I'm from Maastricht University. I'm wondering what concrete steps has the EU done to make Africa an equal partner, especially in regard to the economic partnership agreement re uh, renegotiations happening this year? Thank you. Okay, and then the lady at the back. You were so brief that I can give another person a chance. Please. Thank you for being brave. My name is Stephanie. One, I want to ask, when we say Africa, what European, Europe is getting out of Africa, basically. China is getting the place in Africa. What I would like to ask for European, can you not to accept the, the, the non-legal framework in Africa, but update the European rule to work in Africa? Right. That's the question. Also having ambitious projects. You could have one billion for 100 projects, but just a one billion for one project can change the rule. I'm talking about the, the Inga power, for instance, for my country in DRC. That can change energy in Africa. Why not talking about one project? Okay. This is not talking about 10 projects, 10,000 projects. That doesn't really change the game. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, I will have to take questions later on. You know, this is a conversation that continues over three hours. So this is the first bit of that hour. Uh, let's go back to the panel and let's start with you, Esther. Would you like to take some of the questions about what is uh, the questions from the from the floor about what is the fear of the past, the future, about migration, about uh, the need for one Europe, one Africa relations? Any any of these issues you want to deal with? Please take the microphone. Okay, okay. William Etta, please. Yes, um, I just want to say that for me, again, being a Liberian, living in Liberia, and also having lived in the West, 
it comes back to the same story. I feel that um, when you look at Africa, and I was speaking in Liberian context, we had a war for over 14 years, and now we've been at peace for a while. And um, we have a president right now who, and I go back to what um, Mo was saying earlier about people being able to look at people and not look down at people. Okay, we have a president who was looked down at for a long time, and now he's president of the country, so we can learn through that. And I also, so I want to bring that back to how Europe, you know, um, will come to Africa, and if we say we're going to reset. I, I'm sitting here and listening to all of you, and I'm thinking about the people that I deal with, the women, the children, the suffering that's going on. And I'm thinking that how do I tie this in when I go back? How do I explain all of this to them, and how, how is that going to affect them? How are they going to look at it? And again, I come to the point where I say we have to understand that we have to move from the high level and come down to the granular level. It's so very important, especially for the Africa that I know, for the Liberia that I know. Yes, all of the things are, are important, but the human beings, the human beings and how they're being affected by the changes in the world, how they're being affected by years and years of investment, are they, how are they gaining? We have a population in Liberia of 4.5 million people, and um, I can say like maybe 10% of that has some kind of what you would call quote-unquote wealth that they can boast of. And we have tons and tons and tons of investment in Liberia from Europe, from China, from right. the US, and right. other places. So again, my plea is that with everything else that you do, really, really think about the human beings that are going to be affected, get people to do whatever the case studies are, to work with the governments, to work with local government. Because in Liberia, for example, and I'll keep it within my own context because that is my country, the, the urban area is very small. Everything else is rural. So how do we develop the rural area again? How do we pull these people's lives up when everything is concentrated in the urban area? All of the conversation we'll have here will be, um, will be about high-level government officials, people in boardrooms, and all of that. But the people who need to be affected, the people who need help, are the people who are the poorest of the poor. So that is what I have to say. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for giving us uh, food for reflection. Uh, Gunter, would you like to come in, please? Yeah, we, we cannot uh, solve any problem. Hello? Yes. And we, we, uh, we cannot uh, explain the, the ideas, uh, for instance, the German government is working on. But uh, what I can say is, what I mentioned before, we have to be aware of that 80 or 90% of the private sector in Africa is informal. And speaking only about tax, mitigation, avoidance, or whatever, or which kind of money is going abroad. The, 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 the main population is in the rural areas, what you said. It's uh, substances agriculture, how to uh, get the, the, the first step into a profitable uh, a company or profitable uh, in, uh, investment in, in the agricultural sector from the uh, current smallholders. So that's that's one uh, one thing. Commercial farming, uh, what what people did uh, 100, 150 years ago in Africa, that's possible and that's a good uh, investment. And and why uh, is it uh, not happened or uh, it has happened not uh, uh, so many times? 
or many farms uh, were destroyed. So we, uh, that's, that's the first question. The other question is, why, do we, um, why can we not use a little bit more uh, modern technologies, everyone is uh, interested in smartphones or in, in cell phones, speaking to their families. So wh what is possible? We, we need energy, but we need also uh, this broadband internet for uh, doing business in Africa. And uh, some of the businesses will be very small. And I think uh, an idea could be to, to use uh, the knowledge, not uh, the remittances only, from the diaspora to invest in rural areas where uh, people uh, know their, their families or the, the most fittest uh, woman in, in, the, in the village or men yeah. and give them uh, one or two thousand euro to buy a mill or a, a water pump for, for irrigation. That that's, uh, could change also something, not why, uh, because of uh, 100 or 1,000 of those projects, but maybe if there will be right. 100,000 or millions of those projects. Right. Of course, the Inga Dam will be fine, and it's, it's, it's a good investment, but it's, it's not possible with the current president in your country. And uh, maybe it's also not a good uh, idea to have a transmission, transmission line to South Africa to use the, uh, uh, the electricity. Uh, we need prosperity in other areas in, in Africa, also in DRC. Okay. So for the, for the mining sector, uh, but but that, uh, that's only solution or unique solution for all the problems. Right. I fully agree with my colleague from Italy, uh, 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 from the private sector. We have to do so many different things and we have to, uh, yeah, to invest in, in people on the ground that they are, or that they are becoming interested in indigenous growth in their own villages, in their own cities. Indigenous growth means not printed money, not money from the uh, raw materials, not money from the remittances, not money from, uh, money from the donor countries. Right. So that's, that's the, I, I asked the king in Cameroon uh, during my trip in, in February, uh, what, well, in, in Ghana as well, what is the, the main challenge for you? And he said to change attitudes. So the, the, the chiefs and the kings are well educated in, in London and, and somewhere else in, in Europe. Or, right. But, but the, the, the communities are very archaic or what, whatever you will call yeah. it. But you know, uh, Gunther, thank you very much for that. I just wanted to point out that in fact the diaspora that you refer to is very actively engaged in Africa. We know of several uh, Yeah, but, but it, the, most of the money is used for consumption okay. and not for... Okay. Investment and economic okay. growth or, or this kind of uh, prosperity thank you. and sustainable growth. Right. Thank you very much for making that point. Uh, can I turn to Lapo, please? Yeah. Uh, there were a number of issues, yes. uh, so many, so I will select some of them. Uh, first of all, I, 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 I do acknowledge the point that Gunther was making about remittances, but allow me to underline how important they are, because you mentioned a very crucial point. Uh, it, it, I, my data are not updated, maybe, but I remember a couple of years ago, the total amount of ODA was about, uh, as a global level, $85 billion, and remittances were uh, uh, around 400. Right. So, uh, and for, uh, when a, a, an African uh, sends back home 40 euros or 50 euros a month in many sub-Saharan countries, that means doubling or tripling the income for the family. So it, it's, it's big money, it's big money. 
Uh, what about a company? I mean, a number of issues, but let me just select some headlines. First of all, it's a matter of behavior and how you perceive your role in the country you are. First of all, this is not about ENI, it's about a lot of big companies today in the world. Uh, stakeholders uh, are becoming more and more relevant than shareholders. So the way you engage not only your shareholders, but your stakeholders, the local villages, the local community, uh, in the place you are, you perceive yourself as being a host uh, by a country. You are not the master of anything. Uh, you are hosted by a country, and you, you are engaged in a relation, in a long-term relation, with the national authorities, but also with the local communities. It's about local content. That's right. I mean, this is a very capital-intensive industry, but it's about investing in local content. So growth uh, must, be, must begin and must come out from uh, the, the place you are, not from abroad. So you can measure them. You can measure it about the number of expats that you're sending and how many people, local people, you are training to do a job. We have, we have a lot of uh, training programs and uh, technicians being uh, been hosted in Italy and then sent back to their, uh, to their home, home country. Uh, but in, in the long term, because th this is not a hit or run relation, we are there for 50 years. And so we need to have uh, uh, big roots in the country, a lot of technicians being helped there uh, to do their job. It's about, uh, uh, it's about uh, yes, education, local content. So the long-term value uh, is much more relevant than the short-term profit. This is about uh, the, the, the kind of, and what is interesting for us, for me, is that more and more, uh, even investors and shareholders are modifying their perspective. They understand that your business becomes less risky if you, uh, you, you give uh, value to the relation with, with stakeholders, and not only with them. So it, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a big change in the mentality, even in the business community. Mm -hmm. And last but not least, uh, because we're talking about uh, also how to engage not only a company with the local authorities and national government, but also with uh, international institutions and uh, the, the European institution. Let me tell you that I think that the dialogue that we have uh, must be, let's say, uh, uh, must increase more and more because it happened to us, for instance, that we finance our, our, our project with our money. And when you need to get an assistance uh, from uh, the European Investment Bank or from the World Bank or from IFC, you see that the rules are different, yeah. uh, the, the procedures are different, and at the end of the day, you give up and you, you do with, the, with, your own, with your own money. So I think that if we, if we want to finance big projects and we want to have our project being financed, the dialogue about rules and procedure must be closer and closer. Right. Thank you very much. Very practical suggestions on how to move forward. Elizabeth. Uh, may I add something which is really okay. relevant for me, but <laughs> I guess also for the audience. Uh, there's a very interesting thing that has been done recently uh, from the European Parliament, and which this is the Directive on Transparency on Payment. Because we were talking a lot about good governance, bad governance, civil society. So uh, for a number of years, uh, making disclosure on the payment you, you, you make to the governments and to, you know, on every single project has been a, a voluntary, not compulsory. Uh, today, European companies uh, must behave differently vis-a-vis -vis the Chinese ones or the American ones because there's a, a directive which is, right. which is very tough about transparency on payments. So everybody in civil society and local authorities can see uh, what a company is paying to your government, and so can ask also to your government how are you spending this money. 
I think that yeah, it is, this message. is a good uh, virtual circle uh, for, for, for the future of Africa. Right. Something that you will have to pick up and run with, obviously. Elizabeth, please. Yes, thank you. Well, obviously, in the new approach that we need between uh, Europe and Africa, Africa and Europe, there is shared responsibility. On the side uh, of Europe, it's, of course, uh, to, uh, to understand that we need to have an equal interest approach on the side uh, and more investment, more investment. Uh, on the side of Africa, it's, it's about governance and the state of law. Uh, but we, more than that, we have to build trust, change the way of thinking, change it, build trust, and build trust between civil societies because the level of defiance of our populations in Europe towards our neighborhood, our southern neighborhood, is very worrying, of course, and it is growing defiance. We, we built in Europe, we live in fears, you know, and lots of the populists are, of course, uh, building their popularity on fears, and therefore we've got to change the paradigm to say we, if we face together such and such uh, uh, challenges, like security, peace, climate change, my, even migration and migration, then we have more possibilities to really have a positive approach on that and to manage that in a more uh, a cooperative way. And this is something that is never in the debate in Europe. On the debate on migration, for example, it never comes. How can we do that? Uh, I think that we have to uh, really build up uh, new networks uh, that mix civil society, entrepreneurs, uh, artists, uh, thinkers, with politics and institutions. I think we need that. And we need that to uh, think the future, to prepare the future, not to be condemned, you know, to day-to-day -day urgencies. And it seems to me that between uh, Europe uh, and, and Africa, if we, for example, if we had a network of those networks that already exist, it's not mm -hmm. a matter for creating another big uh, thing, you know, then, then we can do much more than we do because we could, uh, through these bodies, uh, understand each other uh, more than we do. Right. So this event today, for example, is we listen to each other. So what's next? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I, I think the importance would be to have shared goals, shared ambitions, and then to work together. Thank you very much. Esther, I do want to bring you in. You've heard everyone else, and you started off the conversation by making a very strong point, saying we're treating, Europe is treating the symptoms, but uh, not, uh, not uh, the root causes of the malaise, of the bad governance, of the, the fact that many young people are leaving Africa. Just come back and tell us a little bit more. Yes. I want, to, I want to strongly agree with um, the rest of the panelists about investment in Africa, but I want to go back to my point that African youth are desperate. Go on and invest in the African youth. Do all you're doing with the energy boosting, but the, there's still corruption. So where will you put the money that will, and the money won't be stolen? So we go back in the circles and Riz will be read that billions of money have been corrupted. So youth will get angry because they're the same government, same leaders who have been embezzling money for years. And yet, again, they will think of 
handling a gun and whatever you will be invested will be bombed, I promise you. Hmm. So. Okay, thank you for that sobering thought. Uh, Mo, I'll come back to you for your final comments and please take up the question that I was put in the, in the beginning also about why can't one Europe and one Africa get their act together and work together? Why not? Institutionally different, you said. One is a club, the other is a union. What else stands in the way? Yeah, actually, it's a complicated relationship because we have a complicated history. I mean, uh, we have not forgotten about slavery. That was a huge crime uh, uh, against Africa. I mean, I can see Holocaust museums everywhere. I haven't seen a museum about slavery anywhere. Uh, so that, that was what big wound. Then we had colonialism, we had a lot of other issues there. Uh, so Europe committed crimes in Africa, there's no question about it, uh, some time ago. Uh, but many people committed crimes against other people. I mean, that's the history of, of, of the humankind, unfortunately. We're not very kind to each other, but that's another story. Uh, but anyway, that was 50 years ago, 60, 70 years ago. <coughs> we need to move forward. Uh, but all these things created a relationship, a mentality of victimhood. You know, I imagine an African coming here and saying, hey guys, you know, this all is stolen from Congo. You know, all this beautiful stuff around here. I imagine. Uh, I imagine European saying, oh, why we keep just sending money to all those lousy Africans who steal the money anyway? So there is issues on both sides, and the best way is just to face it. Okay, we, we, we made something wrong, you did something wrong, let us sit down and sort it out. I think that is the way uh, really to move forward. So no bad feelings, let's open a new page and we'll move forward. We share in humanity. And you guys may be white because you had lack of sun for the last few years, but you come from Africa, actually. You are migrants. You are all migrants, all came from Africa. As all, all what happened, migration laws changes. And uh, not many restrictions were there at the time. And just imagine if the Indians in North America had really an efficient immigration department, at least would not have Trump there today. Yeah? Maybe you have had it in your country. I don't know if you'll be running your country or not. But look, that is the history of the world. And uh, what happened, and I don't want to go into immigration issue, I just want to say two, two main points. I really get upset when people intentionally in Europe mix two things who should not be mixed, refugees and immigrants. There are different between these two things. But people talk about them as the same thing. It is not. Refugees will all have moral duties, legal duties, to look after refugees. Europe knows that. Europe produced more refugees in history than anybody else in the world. And Europe should know that. That's why I get upset when I see in the European media the intentional blurring of the line between the two. And it is intentional. Because those guys are they're not stupid. They're too smart to, to really make that mistake. So this is a problem. People have to differentiate between the two. Uh, that's one thing I, I, I really want to say. Another thing I want to quote, no less than your 
ex-president Horace Kuhler were together in a session in the Bundestag two years ago. And those sessions was about Africa. And, uh, but he made one interesting statement. He said, you know what, guys, over the last century, Europe exported over one million immigrants, economic immigrants, every year to the rest of the world for the whole century. One million European, on average, exported everywhere. Think where America came from, where Australia came from, where other, yeah? And then the sky is falling when one year we get one million people. You think about this. But anyway, and those were not all economic immigrants because many of them were refugees, actually. This is a moral point, but life is life, and we know politicians use issues like that to win votes or to steer basically. Absolutely. It's really sad what is happening, and it's up for Europe to sort its act out and uh, to, to deal with that. Although the irony, and I was mentioning to my colleagues here, I'm also a British citizen, and uh, uh, in Britain we voted to exit the European Union because of three million European immigrants. Not African immigrants, European immigrants. And uh, three million mainly from Poland and Hungary, who refused to stop these people, insisting that Europe take the economic immigrants, three million people. The same countries refused to take 1,000 refugees. Look at the stupidity. Right. Look at how people have, you know, these double standards. I force you to take two million economic migrants. I refuse to take 1,000 refugees. What kind of moral standard is that? Is this European values? Then I feel ashamed to be European too. <laughs> that's why I insist I'm an African, not European. But that's another story. Right. Anyway. Uh, I go out of the immigration issue, but I, I really had to say that about the issue of refugees and immigrants. It has to be said. Because many people in Europe, unfortunately, politicians, haven't got the moral courage to stand up and say the truth about this issue. And the one who managed to do something got banished in the election, his, his leader, unfortunately. Anyway, Thank you. The, 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 let's move forward. As for the relationship between the two, as I said, we look for a, a, a more sensible new relationship based on partnership and understanding of the capabilities and limitation of each other. And we need to be pragmatic also. We need to be pragmatic. And that is important to deal with the issues between the two. We must insist, in my view, on governance. And governance does not only apply to Africa, governance also applies to Europe. Absolutely. And European governments and European companies also. We need good governance from everybody because that will help us move forward. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And that is indeed the reason that we called our, our session What Africa Wants from Europe. We hear a lot about what Europe needs, wants, desires from Africa. But in our capitals, we don't actually hear the authentic voices of African citizens. We hear a lot of the leaders. There are lots of summits, ministerial meetings. We don't hear civil society. We don't hear the people. And as you said, Mo, leadership is in crisis across the world. Uh, there are very few leaders that one can trust 
admire or who inspires us. And double standards are everywhere. And you know, it's not black and white. I'm brown, I'm European. So uh, it's not just a black and white issue. Thank you very much uh, indeed for, uh, for your comments, everyone. Would you please join me in thanking the panelists? And uh, we will be back here at quarter to five for our discussion on creative industries, technology, and the fashion industry here uh, at the same place. Thank you.